Um, one thing that's like been like very, very consistent is they're just excited that there is staff and that they're and that the staff like is moving forward on on a direction that like both sides can agree on, which is that we need to have a party that provides services uh, to our our members and uh, sets us up to be in a position of success going into the next election cycle. Welcome in there, kiddos. It's another week of your favorite political podcast, Alabama Politics This Week, with Josh Moon and David Person. How are you, David? Man, I'm chill. Almost yeah. like I was at the Snoop Dogg concert a couple <laughs> nights ago. Uh, I couldn't sleep with all that noise uh, from that thing. That's, uh, I know, weird. just so rowdy. Just I know, so, so rowdy. rowdy. So much worse than those other concerts. In every was, other concert that's ever right. been there. Right. Right. Using the same speaker setup and everything. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, it was, you know, I, honestly, I guarantee you it was one of the most relaxed concerts in the history of concerts uh, in this state. Uh, so so yeah. I, I think I think by and large, now I was talking to two, um, two friends who were there um, uh because I, I didn't make it. I, I didn't make it. But two of my friends went and husband and wife and they were saying that uh that that the uh the concentration of marijuana smoke was significant. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. But they were also saying that there were some people there that were just, as we used to say back in the eighties, toe up from the flow up. I mean, just <laughs> I mean one apparently one person was so messed up. That she had, she was just sprawled out in the uh, what do they call that area? The con- the concourse, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, just she she was just there in the concourse with a bag in front of her, and she was just regurgitating into the. Oh, so, oh. so that sounds like she drank too much. Is what yeah, that sounds yeah. like to me. That's exactly, yeah. It's a yeah. that's a rough scene, man. That's a you know you, you get all wound up for Snoop, and you just don't pace yourself properly, and uh, right. you know things right. happen. And uh, yeah, it right. sounded like she didn't she didn't pace out the night very well. I'm, but yeah, listen. Uh, at this point in time, the the Snoop fans they're getting a little older, uh, and uh, yeah, you know we it's, there's a lot more pacing that needs to be done in, <laughs> later in life. You know, and they said these friends of mine said that you literally saw from children to people mm. in their seventies. Oh yeah, yeah, which is which is remarkable. And Orion, I did see footage. Uh, Orion was full. I've never seen it that full. Yeah, well, I shouldn't yeah. say never. Uh, but I'll just say the times that I've been there, the footage I've seen prior to that, mm-hmm. it, it it appeared to be more full than than ever. Yeah, uh, there may it may have been pretty full though when Jason Isbell was there or somebody like that. Yeah, yeah, I think I, it's I think it's been sold out a few times. Wasn't Chris Stapleton was there if I'm not mistaken? Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so I think that there were some there've been some sellouts in that place, and it's it man, it's a it's a nice place. I've never I've never been to a concert there. I've, I've driven around it. I've uh, seen the photos from inside, but I've you know I've talked to a lot of people who have been, and they say it's just a, a really great uh, amphitheater, and and they did a good job building it, and they've done a good job attracting acts to it. Uh, um, let me tell you, I went to the Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, uh, that was, uh, was that last summer? I can't remember when it was, but whatever it was, I went and it was great. Yeah. I mean, it was nice. great. 
Yeah, and it doesn't seem to really be a bad seat the way they've designed it. Mm -hmm. No matter where you are, you you got a nice nice view of the stage. Yeah, well, that's that's good. That's you know, and and you know, Snoop Dogg is uh, is Snoop Dogg. He's everybody loves him. Uh, It's um, I mean, it's it's remarkable. um, You know that he has he has such a following, and I mean, I think those animal videos uh, help. uh, But uh, you know, Mm -hmm. it's uh, him narrating the animal videos and the Martha Stewart friendship. The Martha Stewart stuff. Yeah, that's that's right. Now it's a what are these animals? Uh, so, I mean, it's, uh, it's really, uh, it really, really nice, uh, little setup we've got here in, uh, in the Huntsville area with that, with that Orion and, and, and attracting acts like that. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's, uh, politics. Um, we, um, we set ourselves up for another civil rights movie 20 years down the road, uh, on, yep. uh, on Monday, uh, with the state arguing, uh, to keep, uh, clearly, clearly discriminatory voting maps um, that's so discriminatory that even the current Supreme Court was like, yeah, no, we can't do that. Um, and we made the argument, essentially, that uh, we're going to try to blow up the Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, kill the Voting Rights Act once and for all. Uh, Edmund LaCour, our Solicitor General, who will honestly, honestly, is the one of the best villain names for the civil rights movie that I've ever heard. Really uh, and Edmund, truly. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just, it's like you made up this name. Nobody will believe that there was a real person named Edmund LaCour uh, that, that actually made these arguments. But, you know, we've come to find out uh, through depositions and things that, that took place during that trial that uh, he played a central role in not only uh, the defense of this, but in crafting the maps themselves and crafting the strategy and convincing lawmakers to go along with it and uh, up to and including providing them talking points to defend their decision uh, to do this. Um, it's, uh, I mean, man, you know, when you hear folks like Chris Pringle, um, who I don't think anyone would ever call a champion for civil rights, uh, say, you know, listen, this was a step too far to me and I didn't want my name on it and, Mm -hmm. you know, and back away. Um, I think that's a pretty telling point. And the fact that he was so involved and there's this ploy now I tell you, this is what really ought to aggravate a lot of people is that there is a ploy here to kill the Voting Rights Act and, you know, I guess maybe help out Steve Marshall's um, upward trajectory in, in his political career or whatever he's trying to do. But we're going to use millions of dollars of taxpayer money to, to carry out this ploy that I don't think most Alabamians necessarily agree with. Well, I, you know, I don't know how to gauge what most Alabamians agree with, but I can tell you that from an historical and moral standpoint, this is utterly reprehensible. Uh, Let's start with the history. The history speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that, 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 that black people did not have the right to vote in this state until um, until Viola Liuzzo was murdered, until Jimmy Lee Jackson was murdered. Right. And, th- and those were probably the two key deaths, uh, both of them, by the way, that happened right, a- right in conjunction with more or less with the, with the Selma, the, the part of the movement that happened in Selma, mm-hmm. uh, culminating with the, uh, the March to Montgomery, uh, Selma to Montgomery March. Uh, so, um, you know, that 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 really, to me, speaks volumes in the fact that this state was strident in terms of not wanting black people to have the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at what's happened since, 
in terms of uh, clear acts of voter suppression up to and including uh, Shelby versus Holder, which mm-hmm. was, uh, in my opinion, which was absolutely an expression of um, of Shelby County to try to suppress the blo- the votes of black people once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, that 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 uh, spirit, if you want to call it that, or that that attitude, whatever word you want to use, of of uh, victory by voter suppression, you mm-hmm. know, and voter suppression of in particular black people. And I know they would say, uh, well, this is not about race; it's about partisanship. But in this state, partisanship and race are inextricably linked. Exactly. So. Exactly. How do you separate them out? You can't. Yeah. And, and you know, um, you know what, what I always have? I have a problem. It's the same kind of goes back. Uh, it's similar to the, the, the abortion issue in, in mm-hmm. that we, we, we have no room in the arguments for nuance at all. OK. And, and, and that's kind of the same way here where, you know, we're, we're going to say our, the Voting Rights Act and Section 2 and things are, are, are a little bit outdated. And maybe that's true in some other states, okay? Maybe that's true in some other places around the country. But in Alabama, when you talk about this history here and you talk about still how today, even today, there is so much of our politics tied up in race and the way that the Republican Party and Republican candidates strive, often strive to vilify black people here and push them to the Democratic Party. All right. So there's been a concerted effort by Republicans to not to to alienate black Mm -hmm. voters in the interest of attracting more white voters to vote Mm -hmm. for them and and to do so because they have gerrymandered the state to the point where that is the best way for them to maintain office. And so they do that consistently and they consistently back uh, policies and, uh, and and take positions like uh, uh, Confederate monuments and uh, a, a variety of different things and and the very offensive things that they say about driving through black neighborhoods and you know and all this sort of all this sort of stuff and the 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 hateful and um, just disconnected rhetoric that they use that push black voters to the Democratic Party you know and I wrote a column this week about how you know. If there was an interest in Republicans and conservatives specifically to attract black voters, it wouldn't really be that hard. All you would have to do is stop some of the racism that you're doing and and have an actual concerted effort to reach out because there are a lot of black voters out there who are very close on a lot of conservative issues of things. They're, they go to church yeah. all the time. They're, they're very interested in a lot, of, a lot of the same issues, and they take a lot of the same um, I, I approaches to, to a variety of issues that a lot of conservative white voters take. Well, I think but, the, tr- the truth of the matter is, and you're right on point, Josh, the truth of the matter is if, if the Republican Party in this state and nationally had just stopped being so eager to play footsie with racists. Yes. Then um, the Republican Party might even be 50% black by now. Yep. It might be. Because, you know, you got, you got two issues where a lot of black people, uh, and, I, and I'm going to confess, I wouldn't be one of them, because I don't line up with the Republican Party yeah. on these issues. But there are a lot of black people who do 
as you said, because they are religious church going people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I am a religious church going person, but I'm a liberal religious right. church going person. A lot of black people that are church going people are not liberal like me. They are moderate to conservative. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when it comes to certain issues, when it comes to abortion and the right to choose, when it comes to uh, LGBTQ rights mm -hmm. and all that's associated with that, when it comes to even just the role of women in society. Yeah. There are a lot of church-going black people who line right up with what conservative Republicans say, on at least on those issues. Mm -hmm. And based on that alone, the numbers certainly would, would, would be, the percentages of blacks would be much higher uh, who would vote Republican. Uh, but it's because, again, it's because, it's because the percentage of blacks who are willing to overlook and it's stunning to me, but mm. there is a small percentage of blacks who are willing to overlook, you know, the, the racist, um, the overt racism that re the Republican Party has been willing to embrace, as you, as you spelled it out. Um, it's stunning to me, but there are some who will. It's a small percentage. Yeah. But they're yeah. there. They're there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, and it, it's always, it always catches me off guard uh, yeah. when that, when that's yeah. the case. And I mean, cause I just, I'm like, you know, have you, are you not listening to what they're saying? I mean, my God. Right. Um, but, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's such a stupid position to take on the other side. I mean, it's such a, I mean, if you actually think about, you know, just the, the idea, just, just the basic idea of disliking or, uh, thinking that someone is different from you just because of the color of their skin. It's just, it's such a stupid idea on its face, but you know, it, but even more so when we talk about the, the, you know, the kind of nuance to this thing they're, they're yes, yes. Black in Alabama usually equals Democrat when we're talking about politics. Um, yeah. And, and, the, but there's a reason for that. There's a reason why that is the, is the case. Um, and so this idea that you, that you can't, use race in some way to talk, you know, to, to do these maps is, is ludicrous because we don't, we're not living in that sort of a society in this state where, you know, they may, there may be that taking place in, you know, Wyoming or, you know, California or Oregon or Washington or someplace like that. Okay. Uh, you want to make the argument there? I would listen to your arguments about this, but not here, not where there are so many people who get elected based on the fact that they are actively vilifying black people uh, to attract a base of voters or brown people, because, you know, this is also a big topic. And, you know, and that's it, it is so striking to me to hear these people say out loud that. Well, listen, we're never going to be able, the Republican Party may never be able to hold the House of Representatives again if we don't, if we don't prevail at the Supreme Court and knocking down the Voting Rights Act. So mm. what you're essentially saying is, is if we're not allowed to lessen the impact of black and brown votes, then we can't hold this anymore. Be more, let's even be more blunt, because Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act explicitly prohibits discrimination on mm -hmm. the base of race or color yeah. uh, or membership in, um, you know, a language minority group. So let's be explicit. If we can't discriminate, right. If we can't disenfranchise people, 
You know, it's it, to me, we need to say it as 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 brutally, honestly, raw as we can, mm-hmm. because this is what it is. If we can't be immoral. Right. In our approach to politics, then we can't win. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, you're right. And it's it, and it's it. They say it out loud. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just it's, it's the, what, what are we what are you talking about now? I mean, what, how is this OK with with the average person that, that they're just going to say out loud that we're basically cheating the system here because that's what they're doing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's supposed to, you know, your, your vote's supposed to count equally. It's supposed to you know, uh, you're supposed to elect the people who you want to represent you and your interests. And that's who those people are supposed to be. You're not supposed to have a group of people that hold these beliefs and stuff over here and then they go out and find voters. You know, and that's what the Republican Party seems to want to do at this point is they want to have what their policies and their beliefs and never change them, never alter yep. them, never do anything and then and, force people into that group. And what's so dumb about it is the Southern Baptists already kind of gave them a preview as to what could work if they were just smart about it. Mm-hmm. You know, if they if they had been smart, because there was a time where you started to see a trend of more black people and black pastors uh, affiliating with the Southern Baptist Church. I don't think you see it so much now. And I don't have hard numbers on this, but just anecdotally, I'm talking from what I've seen, uh, you know, uh, through the years. Uh, And I think the reason that they were doing it was because the Southern Baptist Convention had begun to renounce some of its past sins as it related to race. Right. You know, and had, and I think they even asked for forgiveness, I think, but I know for sure that they had renounced some things. And so they, they, they appeared to be, uh, for at least a, a moment or so, they appeared to be on a path to trying to reconcile with black people and to be more welcoming to black people, overtly welcoming to black people. And my, at least anecdotally, it seemed to me like it was working. The Republican Party could have done the same thing. They could have said, you know what? We're going to be conservative. And so if you're not, if you're not conservative, then you just won't be with us. But, but we're going to remove the barriers when it comes to race. We're going to yeah. make sure that you know that if you are straight, if you are a heterosexual Christian mm-hmm. black person, that you got a place here with us in the Republican Party. They could have done that, and I guarantee you, probably overnight, they'd have been flooded with black people that would have been would have been signing up. Not me, but, yeah. but plenty of others. Right. No, it's, uh, listen, you know, right now, that, that party uh, seems to only be interested in one thing, and that's defending the, the ultimate felon. <laughs> In Donald Trump and yeah. uh, and has no uh, no real interest in uh, in, Who's in a outreach. Who's yeah. a racist? He is a, absolutely. He's he a racist. Yes, and you know what? I, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, Josh. The, the 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 more the more I reflect on what he did to those two black women in Atlanta, and basically setting them up as false symbols. You know, trying to use them the same way that George H.W. Bush used Willie Horton Mm -hmm. and the same way Bill Clinton used Sister Soldier, setting them up as as these sort of black malevolent figures, you know, and using racial innuendos, you know, through his surrogate Rudy Giuliani to try to characterize these women as as vote stealers. 
You know, again, this is old white racist crap. <laughs> I had to edit myself because I keep remembering. I, you know, my pastor will not be. Yeah, don't don't make him mad. Don't something. make him mad. Don't make him mad. But uh. but just crap. Yeah. You know. Um, and um, uh, you know, it it it's it. You know, if you're going to play that card that way, then to me, you don't have to say the n word. You don't have to be uh, up there. You know, wearing a, a white sheet. You're just yeah. as racist as if you had. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and now he's got charged with uh, not his ninety first felony this week. So it's uh, yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah. we'll see, we'll see what happens. I think this Atlanta case is going to cause him a lot of problems, man. There are, I think there so are too. There are a lot of Republicans on that list, man, and there's a lot of flipping that's going to take place between now and and March uh, when uh, when that court date is set. But all right, I tell you what, let's 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 slide out. Uh, we'll come back in here. We'll get uh, the uh, new executive director of the Alabama Democratic Party, Tom Miro, in here. We'll find out what he's drinking um, and or if he went to the Snoop Dogg concert before accepting that role uh, and uh, and see how, th- how things are going. Uh, no, in all honesty, I've heard Tom's a very nice guy. I don't know him personally, but uh, we'll we'll get to know him a little bit and yeah. uh, see what uh, see what the future of the party holds. And uh, hopefully but, but, we can get things turned. But we around. do have to wonder. We have yeah, to we wonder, like, how did this happen? But, but I'm happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. happy because yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that this represents progress. Yeah, oh, oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. All right. Uh, back in a minute. Alabama politics is Hey, uh, if y'all would do us a favor and uh, go, to, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, you know, people might pay us to do this. Uh, you never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, yeah. and some of the more Android-friendly, uh, you know, platforms uh, as well. I forget that Dave is an Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just, just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that. Just don't, don't, that. don't leave a bad one. Thank you. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and uh, we are excited now to have with us the brand new executive director of the Alabama Democratic Party. It is Tom Miro. Right. Um, yeah. uh, wait, Tom. Tom, yes. uh, I'm sorry. He, he passed out from drinking again. Uh, <laughs> listen, it's, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's uh, we, no, I'm joking completely. Uh, Cause David and I joked. It's, uh, it, this is, I, I don't want to make light of it at all because the party needs somebody serious and somebody that's, that's yep. going to lead them in the right direction. Uh, I've, mm-hmm. I've heard good things about Tom, uh, uh, but, yeah. but we also must say this is a, Tough gig to take on at this particular juncture. So I think that's where the jokes kind of come from. But Tom, first of all, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for taking on the task here. And I guess to start with, man, just what, why, <laughs> why, you know, why? Very good question. I think the reason why I wanted to take this role, especially, is because I've been doing politics professionally. Uh, for a while now, but I've always been based out of Alabama. It's been my home uh, mm-hmm. since I got involved uh, in, in this as a profession. You know, 
I've seen different, you know, regimes come through and like the Alabama Democrats have always, I felt, been on the precipice of like, like fulfilling a promise to themselves that could be really, really special. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw um, some glimmers uh, of of what is possible, you know, in 2017 uh, with Doug Jones special election. Um, and I think that there was a lot of excitement around that. Um, and then after 2020, after uh, the hit that uh, I think we all knew was going to come, came through. I think we, I, I felt like we, we lost a little bit of, a little bit of that, that spark. Right. Hey, Tom, I, I'm just want to interrupt you for a minute. You say the hit we all knew was going to come through. What hit are you talking about? I, th- I think, I think anybody like, again, I was working in Arizona at the time. I think, I think. I think everybody kind of knew that like Doug Jones had an uphill battle for that reason. Okay. I wanted to make sure that you were talking about the Jones campaign. Right. All right. Correct. Yes. Okay. I think, I mean, they had an incredibly talented staff. I knew a ton of folks that were working on that and they were, and they were working so hard. Um, but, but, re, but electing a, a Democrat in uh, Alabama, especially on the presidential year, it's going to be tough. And uh, so I think we like when, when we saw that loss come through, I think we lost a little bit of that that excitement and that energy. And when I had the opportunity to come in and kind of be the the like the guiding force of of the staff members of the party to build uh, a, a a project that we could work on that would be sustainable, uh, that would continue growth for the party and and try to get some more of that buy in that I think we may may have lost after 2020 um it was an opportunity that was too exciting to pass up really like there's this alabama to me is an opportunity space where, where you can just do anything um and and especially taking the role after it's been kind of empty for a year gives me a really good opportunity to kind of put my uh impression of what an alabama democratic party would look like um so that's that's why i took the role i i, I just thought it was too exciting to pass up Sure, sure. I mean, all, all good reasons, and um, and uh, and obviously, we wish you well in, in doing that. But yeah. you know, uh, we would be remiss if we did not bring up the fact that uh, it's a pretty tough time right now. Um, there's a there's a pretty clear split, I would say, among different factions of the party. Um, and, uh, you know, you have sort of uh, what some people would call a Joe Reed problem. Uh, and then uh, then on the other side of it, some of those folks would say, well, you have a Tabitha Eisner problem, I guess. I don't know exactly who they would identify as the other side of this at this point. Probably Doug. Yeah, Doug, Doug Jones, Doug Tabitha well, Eisner. And uh, yeah. it would probably be yeah. brought up in there. Uh, although Tabitha sure does seem to draw the ire of, of certain folks. Uh, uh, but, um, right. you know. Right. Do you see yourself in that role as a peacemaker? And if so, do you believe you can make peace between these two sides? So I I don't know if peacemaker is the right, right way I would frame it. But I, I guess as far as like the actual like outcome of what I'm trying to get from uh, me being here in this role, like that would exactly be it. Right. Which is. You know, uh, we say this all the time in politics, right? There's so much more that unites us than divides us. Uh, but and I think like being a staff member uh, away from these uh, discussions uh, among the elected members of the party, whether that is uh, through the state Democratic Executive Committee chair, the vice chair, all of that, I think it allows me to continue moving forward and and leading the staff to, toward a 
a place where Alabama Democrats can continue to be competitive in elections. And that's something that I want to do is like I want to, to be able to go to folks who may be uh, in agreement with uh, some of the challengers on this uh, on these bylaw questions, um, as well as some of the folks who uh, implemented uh, the new bylaws and be able to say the staff is here for all Democrats regardless of which side you come on uh, in this particular discussion mm-hmm. and that we want to be able to uh, provide a service no matter which end of that spectrum you fall in. Uh, because uh, at the end of the day, like Democrats getting elected in this state, that's our goal uh, no matter what. And 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 that's when, something that I'm going to continue to do. But I think we've I've seen so far uh, on the ground that folks on both sides of this discussion, right, are um, are excited to to see that staff members are on the ground and haven't really been asking which side are you on, like who this side that like they they are just excited that we're we're working toward a, a, co- a common goal uh, of electing Democrats and and that we're getting out and we're we're trying to meet people where they are. So what we've done, I think, by the end of today, we'll have had six events. Um, that I'm, I'm, me or staff has gone to since we started on the first. Um, and we're going to continue to try to show up everywhere that we can to the existing uh, events that uh, our parties and our clubs are already doing to show that, you know, we're here and we're trying to make a difference uh, for everybody. So, so Tom, I'm going to first of all say that listening to you, <clears throat> my, uh, my blood pressure has gone down. <laughs> my optimism has gone up. Uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Randy Kelly talked to us about you being an, uh, an impressive guy and so forth. And, uh, and I agree with him. I but think uh, you are. Our blood pressure was so high during that conversation that we couldn't hear most of it. So it's OK. <laughs> well, let's move forward. <laughs> um, I, I really um, I'm really impressed with what I'm hearing you say. And I like the I like the way you frame this as an opportunity space. So I got to ask you some very direct questions based on things that Reverend Dr. Kelly has said to us and that uh, Joe Reed has said to us. Um, our understanding is that uh, when uh, when Reverend Dr. Kelly and Tabitha Eisner took uh, took uh, the leadership roles that they've taken that the party was in dire financial situation. Uh, our understanding is that, um, is that there wasn't much money in the bank. I don't remember numbers or if they even shared numbers, but that there wasn't much money in the bank. So my first question is, are you being paid for the work that you're doing now? <laughs> you and the staff, are you being paid? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, very funny way to frame it. Yes. Uh, we are being paid always room to grow, uh, a, a budget. Right. Uh, but I'm very comfortable with where we're at right now. Um, we're in a place that's sustainable, um, uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, which is fantastic, but we are growing. That's a, that's a big part of the the program that we're, we're putting together early on is, um, when we came in, it had been almost a year since we sent out a, a fundraising email. That's obviously not a position that we want to continue to be in. And it was one of the first things that we did uh, when we got in. And um, we're seeing uh, some uh, excitement, some attachment on those uh, those grassroots fundraising emails uh, already, which is great. Um, but no, yes, we, we are so, in a good spot. So that means you are raising money and that's how you've been able to be paid. No, I was, we had enough money to, to, to pay us day one. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. All right. Well, that wasn't, I didn't have that feeling based on what, maybe I just misunderstood. Uh, and I'll concede that. All right. So my next question is, uh, it was very, there seemed to be a lot of disgust uh, coming from, again, Reverend Dr. Kelly uh, in particular, as I recall, and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, regarding the salaries that people were getting. Josh, am I correct on yeah, that? Oh, yes, Do you remember yes, that? He was, he was very, uh, he was very um, disgruntled, we will say. Yes, yes. So I'm going to ask you point blank. Uh, his complaint was that there were people making six-figure salaries working for the Democratic Party in Alabama. Are you making a six? <laughs> are you or your staff making six-figure salaries now? No, we are not. Um, we are not making six-figure salaries. Um, and yeah, no. Um, again, about that in particular, like that is very much. You know, there are different. Different states compensate their executive directors and things like that in different ways. Um, six figures is a very, very common uh, level to be at, especially for battleground states, right? Like you see um, JDs, all the job descriptions all the time for places like um, Arizona, North Carolina, who are hiring for a, an executive director compensating at $120,000 a year, give or take. Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility for uh, EDs to be paid uh, at that level. Um, uh, but I, at the same time, like the, the, the Jones team was like, was very well compensated too, uh, which is great. They were doing really hard work, um, uh, when they were, when they were in there. And I'm, as somebody who came from campaigns and has seen the massive shift in what campaign staffers are getting paid, I think it's a great thing. Uh, politics is often a very thankless job, uh, and that works incredibly tough hours, um, so I, I'm I'm all for uh, you know compensation to the best of a of organization's ability. Final question for me, at least for now, is he's, he's reserving something. the right to come to recall the witness, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, something Josh alluded to, which is the uh, the, uh, the the uh, the challenging situation you face with these um, these contending personalities. You know, and and we're talking about Dr. Joe Reed, Reverend Dr. Kelly, and uh, and uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Tabitha Eisner. Um, do you believe that the party is going to be able to function under your leadership as executive director when the three of them are? Let's be blunt; they are in a battle above your head. And they don't, none of them seem to make any bones about that. Nobody has, I mean, we've talked to them here on this podcast. I've interviewed all three of them for uh, at least one column that I wrote for APR. They they all are open about the fact that they're at odds with they each other. They hate each other. <laughs> it's just, so, I mean. <laughs> I, I mean, I, and, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say they hate each other, but I understand why Josh is characterizing it that way because. Even though they may not have said those words, the if they don't, I'd hate the, to see what their hate looks like. <laughs> My God, the 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 energy and the attitudes reflect that. So I'm asking you, how does the party move forward under your leadership when you've got these three people above you that are in a battle? 
Um, obviously, that's one of the the big challenges that I thought about before uh, I, I came into the role, which is, um, you know, what what does it look like knowing that leadership is is currently in a, in a in a contentious kind of discussion about what the future of the Alabama Democratic Party uh, will look like, uh, right? And, and you said the future. I'm just going to interrupt you to say, Tom, you said the future, which also triggered in my mind. Yeah. There's a legal battle going on at the same time, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, the caucuses challenging the actions that were taken against them. So you've got the people battling above your head. You got people, you know, I'll just say for convenience, below you or alongside. And don't forget you. the DNC's Rules and Bylaws Committee also that's uh, holding an investigation. And the DNC speak, too, exactly. Yeah. Well, I was sort of, and that's a great point, Josh, for specificity. I was sort of tying that in with the with the legal thing. But yeah, so what what how do you how do you navigate all this and 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 have a party that functions productively? Yeah, um it's I mean, I'm not going to pretend that is going to be the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Uh like it is going to be difficult um and, you know, um some folks, you know, have have made their opinions uh known to me when I've been on the road, but uh the overarching majority of 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 people, like even folks who outside of having discussions with me um have made their opinions clear one way or the other on uh with who they they they're, they're going to be supporting um in those those DNC discussions as you as you mentioned um one thing that's like been like very very consistent is they're just excited that there is staff and that they're and that the staff like has is moving forward on on a direction that like both sides can agree on which is that we need to have a party that provides services to our our members and uh sets us up to be in a position of success going into the next election cycle and and, and what that looks like so it's i think it's it's going to rely a lot on the experience that i have from campaign work where uh, there are always big personalities in those spaces as well, but it's rem- remembering and bringing the urgency of a campaign mentality to that of saying, like, I don't have time to solve every problem when we have this objective that we're trying to accomplish together, Re- regardless of how we're coming at it in different ways. Uh, we all want the same thing in the end. And that is my job. It uh, was my job in uh, uh, in uh, roles past to help put aside differences and say we have this thing that we want to accomplish let's do it together and we and 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 we'll uh, examine the rest of that as we as we get going but like that's my my goal is to make sure that the Alabama Democrats feel like they're ready to to hit the ground running for a, a 24 cycle that looks really really exciting for us yeah, um I, and, and I I think you know that's obviously the the only way that you could possibly approach this. But what I, what I do wonder, uh, looking at things, because we've heard this a lot from from people, is that uh, you know the turmoil, the the change, the the bylaws changes um, has has hurt uh, the trust that a lot of people have in the party leadership. And uh, and when you talk about hurting the trust of the party leadership, that inevitably uh, you know, trickles down to how much they're willing to give uh, to the party, how much they're willing to be involved in the party. Um, and and so I wonder, are, as you're going out and trying to do the fundraising, um, are you having uh, issues with that? And also, are you having issues in finding candidates who might be willing to join up? So I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say issues, right? Like uh-huh. it's something that has come up, right? Like I wouldn't, right. I'm not going to pretend that it, that it hasn't, 
but the there's still that excitement there, right? Especially in in a space right now where you know we have the the possibility of a another competitive uh, congressional district. Mm-hmm. What that will look like, um, who's to say? Hopefully, we'll find out soon. There, there's still that excitement there, and you'll we're obviously going to have folks who are like not going to give because of one one reason or the other. Most of that would be around the this bylaw question. Is that that's what I've heard? But it's about like finding the folks that are like that understand the project that we're trying to accomplish, which is to like put together a solid campaign for uh, Democrats to latch onto in this state, mm-hmm. reminding them that like there's like this is something that we can do together. Um, and that will be a, a project that uh, I hope brings everybody back to the to the same page. Yeah, no, I, I was going to because I was going to ask, too. I mean, there, there does seem to be, you know, right now um, you, you've got a you've got the congressional uh, district. You have, you know, Republicans that have done just insanely crazy things um, over the course of you know, the last you know, a little bit. And, um, and and it seems as though, you know, they are currently uh, pushing hard against uh, public schools, public school teachers, uh, and the AEA, which would seem to set up a pretty good funding source and a pretty good base of voters. Um, so there does seem to be things that are out there that you can latch on to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's just to name a few, right? Like something that's, uh, I think is a project that I've been really excited about is, you know, reinvigorating, um, uh, the party and, uh, our relationship with labor. Mm, yeah. There's some really, really cool labor stuff that's going on all across the state. We've been doing, uh, we've been working hard to try to, you know, use our platform to remind the state that that labor's natural home is the Democratic Party, and 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 um, so I think that you're you're absolutely right. Um, teachers um, have always played a huge factor, especially in Deep South elections. Um, and they'll continue to do so. But we've got we've got so many exciting things that we can tie back to the messages uh, of of the party proper, and it's just about us getting out there and, and doing that, you know, and 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 putting our 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 face and our name next to these amazing activists and these amazing uh, organizers who are doing the work out there, and reminding them that like we're we're here to support any way that we can, you know. Yeah. Has there been a lot of willingness and uh, folks that have been open to to the to the efforts? Yeah, I think I think there has. It's been really great to you know we've we've got a very engaged uh, uh, vice chair of labor uh, who's been very supportive uh, of um, the the direction that we've taken on, on that particular messaging point. And I think that when when we're, when we're seeing engagement in that way, people people are 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 coming coming to us like knowing that it's like coming from a place of of, of genuine care and that that we want this to be a relationship that we, that we can continue and develop again because you know um it's it really is uh an exciting place for for labor to be right now and and really exciting for us to be able to to engage with it yeah. tom i want to ask you um a couple more questions uh <laughs> it's recalling what goodness. is a go ahead <laughs> I do feel like I've been cast as the prosecutor in this uh in this conversation. But anyway, um Tom, uh what's your thought about how to make Alabama a relevant state for Democrats again? Because right now, it just doesn't seem like the National Party sees us as relevant. I know Democrats that I've talked to in the state 
don't feel like we're relevant because this is such a red state. How do we make Alabama relevant again? Well, it's it's a it's a complicated question, I think. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to continually latch on to the things that put us back into the national spotlight. I think we did that very successfully with the special election in 2017 that created Alabama and its narrative of being a player cemented that, you know, in 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 the national spotlight. Um, and I think that the 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 Milligan decision like offers a similar opportunity to do just that. Uh, but I think that is a Band-Aid uh, and it doesn't really address like a long term way to say, say sustainable and to create growth that doesn't go away each election cycle. So I think the way you address that um, is you bring together a a staff of folks who can build capacity in the the structures that already exist within the party. Uh, specifically, I want to continue to help our county parties where they exist grow their ability to in like inject straight into a, a campaign when the next statewide comes up. You know, it's it's for for Alabama to become a competitive state. It is uh, at a statewide level. It's going to be a decades long project, in my opinion. Uh, I, th- I I consider that to be something that we'll have to work on over the course of several, several years to make sure that well, we're in a position to to compete consistently um, outside of major like um, uh candidate uh, candidate issues like you know like Roy Moore for example being an like all-time horrible candidate uh so I think that that's something that will take years to prepare for but as long as we're engaging now and doing the work trying to you know eat the elephant one bite at a time and move the needle every time that we can maybe we can change the the vision of what Alabama is in national Democrats eyes nice double entendre Tom <laughs> eat the elephant I like that I see what you did there I like that. These glasses so, aren't just for show. That's right. <laughs> you know, got some brains in there. Got some brains in there. All right. Final question, man. 2024 is right around the corner. There is. We'll blink twice and 2026 will be here. 2026 is going to present us with some interesting statewide opportunities. 2024 is going to present us with um, some opportunities too, not as many statewide, but certainly some, uh, but some opportunities nonetheless. Prognosticate for us what what do you expect? Uh, what do you expect the impact of the Democratic Party to be in 2024 and 2026? Yeah, um, uh, we're going to win every race that we uh, put candidates in. Uh, I I mean, like it. He was at the Snoop Dogg. Yeah, he was. Last he time. was at the Snoop Dogg. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has been drinking. We knew it. <laughs> uh, listen, 2024 is right around the corner, uh, and we're in a position now where um, we're starting to figure out what what our what our campaign strategy is going to look like for that. Nationally, Democrats probably invested too soon in in uh, 22. Like the, a lot of states, a lot of battleground states had folks on staff in like 21 in like December of 21. So the the timeline is going to be a little bit shorter this time uh, for that in, in particular, I think. Um, so uh, we're start, still starting to build out what that's going to look like, but uh, we're going to get a competitive seat. It's all we can ask for uh, is something that's like 
that we can fight to win. That's where, in my opinion, Democrats do our best work uh, is grassroots organizing. It's my, the background that I, that I bring into this job. And it's the thing that I'll, uh, that I'll always like prioritize when we're, when we're figuring out how, how we're going to tackle these challenges. And I think that the, the, that the new district, wherever it may be, will present us with an opportunity to, to do just that and to, and to compete. We do have a, like a couple of statewide things. Those are uh, a little more difficult to, to figure out. A lot of them are judges. Uh, presents an interesting fundraising challenge, but we do have the you know president of the Public Service Commission, which is a, a big statewide uh, race that is very interesting, and I think candidates may see an opportunity there uh, to go against the the incumbent uh, who is um, has uh, gotten into some discussions with uh, Alabama Power. Yeah, yeah. But twenty six twenty six is 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 a, a real fascinating project because. The senator that'll be up in 26 has made a pretty big show of freezing a lot of uh, appointments for something that like really matters uh, to uh, to to Alabama as a as a as a whole. Right. And, and we're seeing consequences of those decisions, whether the administration calls it that or not. I I think personally, I don't know. That, that that there are consequences to freezing those um, uh, appointments, uh, and we've lost you know uh, a really great opportunity to have Space Command come to Huntsville, where I think it should be its natural home. Those are going to have like lasting implications in a place like uh, Madison County, which is one of the fastest growing counties in in the country. And now we have to deal with what's going to happen next. And I think that that presents an interesting angle to 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 take, especially because Alabama also has so many veterans. Who live here, specifically in what will likely be the the new district, the Wiregrass has a ton of veterans. Having twenty six, the second go around at this new um, uh, seat uh, with that kind of statewide narrative to play in as well, I think presents a really interesting thing in, in holding and maintaining that seat as well. Should we win it in twenty two or twenty four? My God, when it, what what year is it? I also want to make sure that we present Alabama as a state that attracts talented people. We have talent here. And I also want to make sure that we can bring some more folks, some folks maybe with a more battleground experience. We have, well, I have been an Alabama Democrat for eight years, and I had to go to other states to, to ply my craft uh, because uh, there wasn't that much investment in, I think, a like sustainable organizing uh, work. Through the party, um, I want to make sure that we're can, we're starting to put together a place where like more and more of those out of state uh, talents can come in and incubate the uh, the folks that we have here and create a, a lasting infrastructure of of political operatives who can who can continue this work and be the ones who take that those bites uh, one step at a time. Good deal. Good. As, uh, can the witness yeah. be excused at this point? Yes. Yes. The witness <laughs> okay. can be excused. Okay. No further questions, Your Honor. I didn't have to take well, the fifth, guys. That's incredible. Right, right. That's right. <laughs> Listen, Tom. Uh, look, man. You know, I know these are tough questions, and it's a tough position. And um, you know, and you you walked into kind of a firestorm uh, for the most part. But you know, we, we wish you well. And and honestly, if there's anything that you need, uh, that we're happy to we're happy to help Absolutely. and uh, uh, and and do get the message out and and do you know what we can to to help push the party forward because we desperately need a second viable party in this state. Um, and right. so anything that can be done. But but most of all, put man, us to work. 
Put us to work, man. We're underutilized. Yeah. I mean, we do this podcast. We yeah. write columns. Exactly. Yeah, not, especially now that we found out you got money. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it's, hey. Yeah. Worst uh, put us to work, I made in the whole interview. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> you got money. We, we had no idea. Oh. Uh, uh, but uh, listen, uh, it, it, honestly, man, uh, thank you for coming on and spending some time with us and uh, and answering the tough questions. And, and we wish you the best. Thank you so much for everything. I appreciate you guys. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna come back in uh, just a few minutes and uh, wrap this baby up here. It's uh, Alabama politics this week. We'll be back in a minute. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama politics this week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot. All righty, welcome back, Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, we uh, listen. If you would like to uh, get in touch with us, as several people have, uh, apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com is the way to do that. Uh, we did have a question uh, specifically for David uh, from last week, and we, get, we also had a couple of suggestions uh, that came in through the inbox, which, you know, we'll. <laughs> We'll try to honor if we can. Uh, it's about <laughs> guests and future guests and who not to have on anymore. Uh, oops, but oops, we'll, oops. yeah, yeah. Uh, but there were there was a question about uh, joining the Madison uh, Democratic uh, Party, right? Uh, the, uh, the, how, the, how to do so? Right, the uh, Madison County Democrats. Right. So uh, I am a member of the Madison County Democrats, and uh, I think this question came to us from Don Brown. <clears throat> Pardon me, Don Brown. Don, want to thank you for writing in. Um, yeah, so uh, real quickly, it's not it's not complicated. It's pretty easy. Uh, if you go to the website, the Madison County uh, uh, Democratic Party website, and I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can Google it here real quickly while I uh, while I answer your question because I don't know the exact. Uh, let's see, Madison County. Democrats. All right. So, um, yeah, if you go to MadisonCountyDemocrats.com, that is the that is the website. Um, And uh, of course, we also have a Facebook page, Madison County Democrats. But if you go to that website, you should see on that website information about how to join. Uh, You asked if you have to sign a loyalty oath. Uh, I don't recall signing a loyalty oath, <laughs> so I don't think so. You don't need an invitation. You don't have to sign a loyalty oath. It does cost money, yeah. uh, but the amount of money is really minimal. Um, I want to say it's like $25, if I remember correctly. And then you, you do have to co-sign for a car for Joe Reed, but otherwise it's everything. <laughs> I didn't say that, Don. No, that was, that was Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry, Doctor Reed. Yeah, so uh, twenty five dollars, I think, is the membership fee, and um, and you'll be in. You'll be yeah. in uh, again. I don't think you have to sign a loyalty oath. I don't remember signing anything mm. like that. Now, the other part of his, uh, the other part of this, Josh, is he says he doesn't want you to talk football. I'm assuming he, is that because he doesn't. He's, he's not probably a Auburn a fan. 
He's yeah. probably a bammer. Yeah, okay. there, you know, right. and it's okay. yeah, he doesn't like to hear truth. Yeah, you know, oh, those people get, okay. you know, those people get the savings run is almost over and they're, you know, they're getting antsy. He's already gotten beat by Tennessee and Hugh Freeze is on their tail. It's coming. It's coming. Oh, okay. Uh, so he's hearing footsteps. And I don't want to hear any jokes about Hugh Freeze being on a tail either. Okay. So that's, uh, <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. So, all right, let's real quickly. I have yeah. a, I have a funny story. Uh, well, funny ish story about the Alabama cannabis commission. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you know, they, they, they have awarded licenses again. Yeah. Um, and it went as smoothly as you might expect, uh, mm. which is to say not at all. Um, and so now there are a couple more lawsuits that have been filed. Um, and they, these lawsuits, uh, are specifically about how the meeting in which they awarded the licenses were was an illegal meeting because they failed to honor Alabama's Open Meetings Act, uh, in which they very clearly <laughs> violated Alabama's Open Meetings Act. Mm. Uh, they went into an executive session and held secret votes on who they were going to nominate. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's basically everything that the act was made for. Um, and uh, so, but... Coming out of that, there were score sheets that were kind of distributed around that showed, you know, how different uh, applicants for licenses uh, scored. So I I happened to notice because I wanted to write a story about this as soon as I could. And nobody uh, at Alabama State University would really talk to me about this before uh, the process of going through uh, obtaining a license because they didn't want to draw any extra attention to themselves. They didn't want to, you know, jeopardize their place in the process or anything like that, or be seen trying to get, trying to influence the, the commission. Mm-hmm. So Alabama state university was seeking, uh, basically, uh, a medical marijuana, a license. Uh, they were going to establish a whole program uh, they were going to do this whole thing there where this academic program is going to have students uh, running running most of it. Uh, they were going to make this a program in which they taught them all about the business of medical marijuana, you know, from the growing uh, to the distributing, to the security, to the cybersecurity portion, uh, to the, me- uh, the medicine side of it, all of that. They were going to set up this program and have this comprehensive program. They offer scholarships from the money that they earned off of whatever they were going to sell. They were going to offer scholarships out of that. Uh, and then also they were partnered up with a company and they were going to have an internship program, which you know got those folks you know, put in the door to, to these careers. Mm-hmm. In this industry, which is, you know, basically, I'll say this with I, I'm going to quote somebody without telling you who I'm quoting because he don't want to be he doesn't want to be quoted. Uh, but it was the way it was pitched to me was is we're going to turn the relationship that young black Americans have with marijuana on its head. Uh, and instead of going to prison, we're going to give them careers out of it. And, you know, which is honestly a kind of a revolutionary idea to me. And yeah. I thought it was yeah. fantastic from the time I heard it. So mm-hmm. uh, Hornet Medicinals applied for a license. Uh, in the first round of scoring, uh, they finished sixth, just outside of the licensing. They were 70 points behind. But as we found out quickly, the scoring process was flawed, according to the folks on the commission. And so we had to redo the whole thing. We had to redo it. We had to start over with this, re-examine everything. Uh, and so ASU... Thinking now, oh, we'll look, we'll get back in there. We'll we'll do this thing. We'll get we'll we'll move up in the top five, get our license, and go ahead. Once these, you know, clearly we we're here. They finished fifteenth in the next round. Part of the reason I believe hmm. that they did because there was there were certain things that were marked on these sheets. One of the things that was marked on the sheet was there were residency issues for Alabama State University. 
Now, Alabama State University has been around 156 years. What? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. There was 150. Uh, there, there was a, uh, they got dinged for residency. Here's the other thing. I swear to God, this is true. They didn't qualify as a minority contractor. Oh, for crying out loud. What? <laughs> All the minority contractors were highlighted. Hornet Medicinals was not. Uh, now, I called the commission, uh, the commission's attorney, William Webster, and asked him, you know, hey, man, because I'm going to write a story about this for tomorrow, and said, what in the hell? You know, what can somebody explain this? And he said, well, yeah. it's under litigation now, these things. I just can't, I can't talk about that. But I, I do hope that you'll allow for the fact that there might be an explanation for some of this. And I said, well, yeah, but I, I shouldn't need one. Because if you had done this in an open meeting like you were supposed to, mm-hmm. we would know what's going on here. People could have asked questions and said, hey, uh, isn't Hornet Medicinals ASU? Aren't they a minority contractor? Uh, you know, w- w- what about this residency thing? What All of these questions could have been answered in an open meeting if we had been able to see it. But we can't. And it's so secretive. And it's so, uh, you know, and, and, and so now we're left with this. You know, how the hell does ASU got residency and minority issues, you know? Doesn't make any sense unless yeah. unless you factor in one thing. Mm-hmm. They held the, the, the meeting in executive session, Josh, because part of some, one of the things on the agenda had to have been testing some product. <laughs> You sound like you sound like Bill Britt. I think they, uh, who said to me, I think they're using their own stash. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, listen, it, it I, and it very well could be. Uh, I, I'm, and that's that. So Judge Charles Price is on this commission, right? And uh-huh. and before they're going into executive session to do this, uh, he, you know, they start in and they're asking for an explanation, and people are raising hell about this because I mean, it's a yeah. it's a pretty clear violation of it. Yeah, and and yeah. the attorney says. Well, we're going in to, to discuss these things. And, and the judge says, the judge, it's on a transcript. The judge says, oh, we're going to be talking about these people's names. And, uh, and the, the attorney says, well, we could. And he said, well, I'm, I'm not asking you if we could. I'm asking you if you are. So is that, the, is that how we're getting around the Open Meetings Act right. requirement? You put a judge on this commission to make sure you follow the laws, not so right. you can get the hell around them. Right. You know? And uh, and it's still you still don't do it. That's not what the exceptions for good name and character are about. Those are talking about employees of the uh, of of an entity that whose name you're going in to talk about. And when when you're nominating people, they went into this executive session and nominated the the companies that they were going to choose and, and by secret ballot. Sounds the, awfully know, sleazy. Just sounds yeah, sleazy. Yeah. So, so I, obviously I was being facetious earlier, but but really and truly, all kidding aside, it sounds like somebody. I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing that happens when money's being passed under the table. Doesn't it, though? That's yeah. what it sounds like to me. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's what happened because I can't prove that. I don't know that. But I'm just telling you what it looks like. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a. Um... It's it's shady. It's shady as hell. And I mean, and it continues to be more and more shady all the time. I mean, just I, I don't know, you know, and, and uh, that that to me, it's it's such a, you know, I, first of all, I'm I'm very unhappy that, that they didn't allow ASU to try this program out, you know, because I, I think it would be a really great program uh, for somebody to try. And um, I, I just 
you know, it doesn't make any sense to me while while we're while we're doing this. But you know, but it, it no, none of those other programs are going to benefit the people of Alabama like that program would. You know, and yeah. um, so, but uh, anyways, they they did what they did, and um, well, you know. is there any? I mean, is there an appeal process? Well, they're they're currently in a lawsuit, and I, I yeah, I, I got a good idea that the circuit court judge there is gonna is going to force them to go back and do this again and say that they violated the Open Meetings Act. I mean, you're just, if you don't, you, you've just basically blown up the Open Meetings Act. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, that's, this is pretty, I mean, it's right down the line what the Open Meetings Act is about, you know? Right, right. Uh, and, and so I just, I, I, I can't imagine them letting it stand, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how they do, but I, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's pretty shady, pretty shady all the way around. And, mm. you know, uh, uh, what, what, what else were we going to talk about before we get to, um, right well, we were going to mention real quickly before right wing nuts that, um, the Southern cultural center, yes. Uh, which is a described as a neo-Confederate group by some, and the SPLC, I think, describes them as a hate group, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're having their, what they're calling their national convention uh, on uh, today, because the podcast drops every Friday, today and Saturday, tomorrow. And uh, I just, you know, I, I wanted to bring that up because I just think it's interesting that you have um, you know, you still have this very strong strain of, uh, again, what I'm going to call neo-Confederate Confederate thinking in our state, uh, which, you know, uh, you know, when you look at what that really means is, uh, you know, these are people who are still fighting the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. That's really what they're doing. They're still fighting yeah. the Civil War. And um, and they want to I was looking at their website and one of their objectives is to and they don't use this exact language, but the way I interpreted it is they they want to really see a sovereign South, you know, created, you know, they want. and, And so, again, if you're saying a sovereign South with the history of this country, well, what do you mean? You basically mean you want to see another civil war. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's think, stunning to me. I mean, I don't, I don't know how anybody thinks there's progress for Southern states in going that route. Well, this is what I would encourage people to do. Okay, what I would encourage people to do is not to go to this thing, but to go and sit just outside the parking lot of this. All right, or someplace where you can view the parking lot pretty clearly, and just watch the people who arrive and get out of their cars and walk in to this place. And if you can honestly say after a few minutes of watching them walk in, that you believe that these people represent the superior race, then by all means, go ahead and join up. But otherwise, I think we both know what we're going to see. And, you know, if we left those folks to their own sovereign country or whatever the hell it is that they want to do, uh, it would fold within an hour. Okay, Uh, because they couldn't support themselves. The rates of diabetes and heart disease would be through the roof. Um, uh, It you know, the the lack of math (laughs) would be remarkable. You know, it just honestly, it's so ludicrous to me that these people are still holding on to this archaic idea and these really stupid notions that they they hold 
and in this dreamscape in their head that is so ridiculous and absurd, and it consumes them to the point where they'll go to something like this, and you know, don't you have enough shit to do? I don't understand why. You, you know, you know what I mean. I mean, don't cut the grass or something. You know, <laughs> go watch a documentary or you know, I mean, pick up a book. You know, maybe one of the banned ones and well, read. Know, I, I think denial and grievance, and 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 I mean, you you know this better than I as a as a white guy who's been living amongst white people uh, in the South here. Uh, you know, the level of denial and grievance is just high and it's and it's passed down. It's cultural. It's generational. And so you have, you know, some people. And I remember, you know, when I, you know, once I got once I graduated from college here uh, in Alabama and started really circulating in the work world, what you find is that there are people who are quick to talk about, you know, st- still talk about states rights and hmm. what the what the civil war was about and what it wasn't about and 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 you realize man this thing is deep it's just yeah. it's a it, it's so deeply ingrained in people's minds and and lives that uh, so there's a certain percentage of people who just they, they won't they won't let that go yeah and I, no, they I won't think, and i think there's a direct correlation between that and the ability of the south in Alabama in particular, to progress to the extent that it should. And can. I think you're probably, yeah, I think you're probably right about all that, which, uh, which, and is a, is a fantastic segue into our right wing nut, uh, this week, yeah. who is, uh, Jerry Carl, our representative for now, unless Barry Moore beats him out after the redistricting, um, uh, who was asked by APR, um, and Patrick Darrington asked him, uh, one of our reporters, asked him if it was uh, right and proper for the state to defy a federal court order as they are doing in the redistricting process, uh, to which Jerry Carl responded, by all means. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, forget that, you know, the, the were, were they were they supposed to be the law and order party when they went to the right. law right. and order party? And, right. Uh, I mean. It's just absurd, man. It, the The absurdity of this whole thing and the thinking now has has reached a point where uh, there's such an echo chamber on the right that has been created that I, I, it's almost impossible to penetrate that bubble at times. And, um, and and this is one of those things. I mean, the the indictments of Trump, where these people actually believe that somehow this is all political uh, and there was nothing. I mean, you you can these people who say this, and then you say to them, well. You saw him make that. You heard him make that phone call to Georgia, looking for votes, right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. And you saw the things that he said, and the letter that he sent, and the way that they did these things, and they had these fake electors. All that's true, right? Well, yeah. But I mean, you know, so those are crimes, man. Those are those. That's you know, those, that's what he's being uh, yeah. put on trial for. And so uh, all that happened, uh, and it's just. This is, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. It's the right. circular sort of logic that they have, and they're in the bubble and. Nothing, nothing penetrates it. It's Democrats doing this. And what about, you know, what about Hunter Biden? You know, what well, about him? There's a certain amount of privilege that they attribute to Trump for whatever reason, whether it's because he's rich, because yeah. he's white, maybe a combination of the two and more. I don't know. But I guarantee you, if Hillary Clinton had done the same thing or if Obama had done the same thing, They'd be singing a different tune. Oh, absolutely. They would be. I mean, but I'd just like to point out before we close here. Hillary Clinton 
was literally right about everything. <laughs> she was right. She called out Trump for who he was. She told mm -hmm. everybody what he was going to do. And she was right about every single you're, you're exactly right. All right, let's get on out of here. It's uh, Alabama politics this week. Uh, until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace.